Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello. I'm pleased to see you return once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, and today we have a dark subject matter to speak on. As you look at the artifact we have in front of us, it's a simple greeting card depicting an owl and a skeleton, and it reads, From your secret friend, but this card is not from a loved one or a secret admirer. This card is from something more sinister. And this card is something not unlike what you may have seen in the new Matt Reeves film. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the Batman. Growing up, I was a huge fan of Batman. Uh, there were two superheroes that I just loved as a kid. Uh, I had the underoos. I had all the stickers. I had uh, pens and magic markers depicting these two. One of them was Spider-Man. The other one was Batman. <laughs> I had my foot in both camps, uh, Marvel and DC. But uh, I was always a huge fan of Batman because Batman had, you know, had the mask. And, you know, Bat, a creature of the night always had kind of an element of terror to it an element of horror you know vampires turned into bats and to have a batman just seemed frightening to me on some levels but he was a good guy so i was always enthralled with anything and everything that was batman uh, i of course didn't grow up in the 60s but in reruns got to watch all of the episodes of the batman tv series starring adam west and I always loved it as a kid because it was Batman. It was superheroes on the TV screen, which is not something it got a, a ton of in live action. But it always felt a little, even as a young kid growing up watching this, it sometimes felt a little more kiddish than I wanted out of my Batman. So as Batman uh, evolved over the years, especially with the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton Batmans that we saw in the late 80s, uh, we've got to see a darker version of Batman. And, and that is really the Batman we have seen for decades now, is this like most literal Dark Knight version of Batman. Now, sometimes the Batman films have been done to great effect. The first couple Tim Burton uh, Batman movies uh, I, I really loved. After that, it just got kind of a little silly and hokey. Uh, then we got the revival of Batman with the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. Again, it it really took Batman back to a, a more gritty, dirty, uh, more realistic, more hardcore vengeance type Batman, which which I liked, but to some extent, some of the some of the stories, some of the villains, I, I was not a fan of how they portrayed Bane. Well, the Bane in the in the original Batman series seemed uh, a little too cartoonish. This one didn't seem as cartoonish enough, I guess, is probably my biggest gripe about that. Of course, everyone loves Heath Ledger's Joker in that Batman trilogy from 
from Christopher Nolan. The Scarecrow, uh, I thought that was an interesting villain for the first one, Batman Begins. Uh, but there again, uh, there were so many untapped great villains that uh, I, I thought that was an odd yet interesting choice. Then we got Ben Affleck, Batman, <laughs> in Batman v Superman and the Justice League stuff. I I have a love-hate, more-hate relationship with Ben Affleck as an actor. Uh, I'm just not a big fan. I, I didn't mind him as Batman, but it wouldn't have been my first choice. And it, it kind of felt like not quite a ripoff of Christian Bale's Batman, but Christian Bale kind of really made that gravelly, growly voice Batman kind of his thing. And it felt a little bit of a ripoff of that. I dug the suit uh, a little bit. I thought that was kind of cool going, uh, you know, everything has been all black on Batman for, you know, since Michael Keaton through Christian Bale and to do kind of the gray suit with bat black cloak and mask, I thought was uh, a cool look, uh, a look that they've kind of continued in this new Matt Reeves Batman. But uh, there again, I I'm kind of iffy on the Ben Affleck version of Batman. So when I found out that they were going to do this Matt Reeves Batman, I, I was interested but I, I really wasn't sure what to make of what they were planning because this Batman is essentially Batman year two. Bruce Wayne has been Batman for two years now. He's very early in his vigilantism. I heard that they were going to do it kind of as a film noir detective type story. And, and and ground it in realism. And I, every time I hear that in a comic book superhero film, I always kind of cringe a little. I always bristle a little bit because, yeah, I get it. You, you want it to be grounded in some semblance of realism. But it is a comic book character. These are comic book characters. And you have to you have to give us a little something comic book esque about it you can't ground everything in gritty dirty realism to the point where it's it doesn't feel like a comic book anymore so i was a little worried about that uh, i was a little worried about it just being a detective story i was uh, worried about the the noir aspect that they were kind of planning so i had a lot of reservations and then they cast robert pattinson yeah Edward from Twilight. My wife kept joking with me about going to see this movie because she didn't really care if she saw it. So I went to the movie theater to myself to watch it. And she kept picking on me about <laughs> Batman sparkling. And I said, this isn't Twilight. He's not going to sparkle. Granted, there was that little bit of doubt in the back of my head that maybe some of the sparkle just hadn't worn off of Robert Pattinson. But, but, Suffice it to say, there was no sparkling Batman, uh, thank God. But I, I had some reservations about that until I kind of looked into what Robert Pattinson's done since he played Edward in Twilight and realized that, you know, he's, he's developed as an actor. So my reservations about that were kind of assuaged a little bit. But going into this, I just wasn't sure what to make of what we were going to get as far as a Batman movie, uh, a restart to the franchise, so to speak, a reboot to the franchise, so to speak. And then we started getting some of the trailers. And I thought, okay, this, this might not be that bad. This might actually be good. Uh, it still had some reservations once they kind of showed you what the Riddler was going to look like. Uh, I, I uh, will talk about my thoughts on that a little later, but 
I went into this movie with a lot of hope, the kind of hope you get at the end of this movie, uh, <laughs> but still a lot of reservations. So sitting down to watch this movie, I got to say, it was really interesting how they started it out. It, it felt very much like Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, with a, a POV shot from what turned out to be the Riddler. Watching his first victim just felt very much like Halloween, which was kind of cool, which added a, a bit of a horror element to this. There are sections of this movie that really draw on elements of horror. I mean, this isn't a horror film by any stretch of the imagination, don't get me wrong, but it did have elements of horror, elements of suspense, elements of terror that they really drew from. There's a lot of inspiration in this movie that you're going to get from a lot of different places, uh, from, like I said, drawing inspiration from some of those POV shots from John Carpenter's Halloween, uh, inspiration from the movie Seven, inspiration from real life with the Zodiac Killer. Uh, you get a lot of inspiration in that in the Riddler character from the look to how he presented his riddles with ciphers and things like that. So there's a lot of inspiration in this, but you start out with that POV of the Riddler before his first kill. And then it kind of switches over to... Uh, where we're introduced to Batman, and we get this voiceover, this monologue voiceover that felt very much like a noir detective story. One of those hard-boiled detective cases from the 40s, 30s, or 40s. Uh, it felt very much in that style, which I, I think was kind of cool, because one, it kind of played to the detective uh, roots of Batman. Batman was a part of Detective Comics. Uh, he's known as the world's greatest detective, which they kind of play into that with this movie. And they really did a great job of showing Batman as the detective that he started out being with this. And he did the, the monologue at the beginning, like I said, felt very much like a detective noir type film we only got that a couple times so i'm glad they didn't keep going back to that it was a nice little element at the beginning it was a nice little bookend element at the end and and they didn't really dive in too deep with that that made you feel like you were watching a an old-timey movie and not you know a movie in 2022 uh so so that was kind of cool that they didn't go to the well one too many times with that i, I was very happy about that but we got to hear Batman talking about essentially what he's been doing, the the fear that he has created in this city amongst the underbelly, amongst the criminal element in Gotham, how criminals are afraid to look into the shadows because Batman might be there and come out to to exact justice upon them, exact vengeance upon them. And we get a couple scenes where uh, criminals are out doing their criminal thing, their hood rat things, and they're always looking into the shadows, shadowy doorways, shadowy corners, uh, waiting to see if Batman's going to come out. And we get uh, a gang attacking this innocent guy in a subway station, and we finally do get Batman actually coming out to exact vengeance, and he fights off this gang. And we get the line that you hear in the trailer because we've heard so many times uh, going back to Michael Keaton's Batman you know somebody asked who are you and we get the I'm Batman uh, it's just kind of been a thing and I like how Matt Reeve in this movie they kind of turn that around and instead of him saying I'm Batman he says I'm vengeance because at this stage in the game Bruce Wayne 
uh, and Batman. That's what Bruce Wayne is all about, is vengeance. You know, he's two years into being Batman, and he became Batman because of the death of his parents, Thomas and Martha Wayne. All he's looking for is vengeance. And we get some scenes with him and Alfred, where Alfred's concerned that he's blown through his money. Uh, he's not concerned about growing Wayne Enterprises. He's not concerned about the Wayne charities. And he's just putting all his money into being Batman so he can exact vengeance on the criminal element of Gotham. And we get the Bruce Wayne that and the Batman that doesn't care about anybody else. He just wants to get vengeance. That is his main prerogative uh, throughout the beginning of this movie. But without giving too much away, I'm not going to go uh, you know, frame by frame, scene by scene, and, and break down this whole movie. I am going to talk about uh, some of the things I liked about various scenes, uh, looks, characters, and things like that. We're going to talk about this movie without giving too much away. If you have seen this, I, hopefully you'll, you'll get some perspective that maybe you hadn't got before, or maybe I can confirm some of the perspective that you had that, yeah, yeah, this guy thinks the same way too. If you haven't seen the movie, like I said, I don't want to give too much away that uh, you do you know, like, oh, I already know the movie because this boob uh, spoiled it all for me. I don't want to do that either. So we're kind of going to go over this movie, go over some of the basic plot. Uh, we're going to talk about the characters, some of the things I liked and didn't like about the, the character portrayals and the actors portraying these characters. So basically this movie is Jim Gordon. He's a lieutenant. He's not commissioner yet. He has partnered with Batman over these past two years. He's got the bat signal on some random building. It's not even a part of Gotham PD right now. He calls Batman to help him solve murders. So, so basically, this story is essentially a detective story where Jim Gordon and Batman are trying to solve this crime. The Riddler has killed the mayor who is running for re-election. And the Riddler leaves these greeting cards with riddles on them. And it's basically a multifaceted thing where the Riddler is killing corrupt politicians and city officials. He's trying to leave clues for Batman, one, as to who the next victim is and why this is happening, why he's killing all these people, uh, what they've been involved in. And he's also leading Batman to him, figuring out who he is, who the Riddler is. Which, like I said, all ties into the various city officials and the crime element, the, the mob element of Gotham. And ultimately, what is Riddler's master plan, his kind of crescendo that this is building to? He's, he's killing off all these corrupt politicians and city officials. To what end? That's kind of the, the big mystery as well that Batman and Jim Gordon are, are trying to solve. And again, it, it all kind of plays into the world's greatest detective mantle that Batman has always carried. There is there is a scene where the Penguin, and we'll, we'll talk about the, the Penguin and who played him just briefly, but there's a, a situation where uh, Gordon and Batman have captured the Penguin. They're interrogating him, and the Penguin realizes something that they didn't realize, and he makes the comment, oh, 
world's greatest detectives, huh? <laughs> Something like that, kind of mocking that. And it, it was such a, a nice nod to the title of world's greatest detective to Batman and the fact that uh, throughout this movie, uh, there's some decent detective work, but uh, Batman's only in year number two of being a detective and being Batman. So he's not quite world's greatest detective just yet. Now, one of the things I really loved about this movie was the cast. Uh, I had some reservations about a lot of the people who were cast in these roles. Uh, there was only one person that I was really confident was going to nail the role. And, and I'll talk about that, that actor coming up. But uh, Robert Pattinson uh, plays Bruce Wayne and Batman. And I really grew, not grew to like, I, I think I liked him right off the bat. But leading up to this movie, I wasn't sure how he was going to do as as Bruce Wayne or Batman. Granted, you can put the cowl on a lot of actors if they got a strong jawline and they're going to look the part. Uh, if they do a gravelly voice, they could sound the part. Uh, but to be able to do that and play a Bruce Wayne that is believable, uh, those are those are two different things. But I liked how Robert Pattinson played this Bruce Wayne. Uh, like I said, year two, only two years into being Batman, he's focused on vengeance. He's not the billionaire playboy that we've seen in so many other adaptations of Batman. He is a recluse. He has stringy, longish hair. He only shows up at the mayor's funeral, and it's like, you know, all the paparazzi are, are making a big deal because nobody's seen him in so long. I heard Robert Pattinson talking about how he kind of patterned Bruce Wayne after Kurt Cobain. Ironically, they use uh, Nirvana something in the way as a, a bit of a theme throughout this movie. And, and I, I kind of see what, at first I wasn't sure how he was going to pull that off, what exactly he was going with. But when you see Robert Pattinson and he's kind of got that uh, melancholy feel about him, that tortured soul feel about him, the, the stringy hair kind of getting down in his face sort of thing. I, I get where he was coming from when he says that he's kind of patterned Bruce Wayne after Kurt Cobain because it feels like a, a bit of a, a rock star that's that tortured soul rock star kind of how Kurt Cobain portrayed himself uh, and, and probably was given how his his life came to a tragic end and I've heard Matt Reeves talk about how he almost comes across as like a drug addict Bruce Wayne does who's addicted to Batman and I think, you know, because he's spending all his time, all his nights out fighting and getting the crap beat out of him and and coming home with bruises. We see him, you know, his back with a shirt off and he's got so many bruises and scars and things like that that I get. I, I can understand where they're going with with this Bruce Wayne. I, I got to imagine that we're probably going to be seeing a different Bruce Wayne in the sequel that will probably be on the way before you know it but uh, but we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later in the podcast as well but Bruce Wayne and Batman definitely flawed uh, you know in this stage of being Batman like I said he's hell-bent on vengeance and he doesn't care about anyone else doesn't even really care about himself he's just fueled by rage and just 
trying to exact justice wherever he can in the form of vengeance. And I think Robert Pattinson did a good job portraying that version of Bruce Wayne. And I think I could see him transitioning to what Bruce Wayne is going to become as well. Because Robert Pattinson, the movie star, he knows what it's like to walk the red carpet, things like that. He knows how to portray that sensibility, which I think is going to translate well into him portraying billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne. Uh, I also think he did a good job as Batman. Uh, there was some talk about how he he was trying to do something different from the gravelly voiced Batman that we've seen with, with Christian Bale and Ben Affleck, and he, he wanted to do something more whispery, and they told him to stop doing that. So I, I think he found a nice balance between a, a whispery tone and a more gravelly tone. I, I think I, I like the portrayal of Batman. I like the sound he went with. It just wasn't all growls and gravel like Christian Bale, but it wasn't complete whispery. It was, uh, I, I thought it was a good, a good interpretation of, of how Batman should sound kind of the strong and silent type. The old Teddy Roosevelt line, talk softly and carry a big stick. And I thought Robert Pattinson did a really good job on both the Bruce Wayne and the Batman front. And I was, uh, I can't say I was pleasantly surprised because I thought he, it's possible he could pull this off, but he pulled it off better than I thought he would. So I, I am very confident moving forward with this. Uh, I guess they're talking about doing a trilogy of Matt Reeves, Batman movies. I'm really confident about Robert Pattinson filling this role in the future of this franchise. Another character I, or an actor, I wasn't sure if, I wasn't sure how I felt about her playing it. Uh, Zoe Kravitz, Lenny Kravitz's uh, daughter, she plays Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. And it's not that I felt that she couldn't portray the character. I just, I'm, I'm very much a traditionalist when it comes to comic book characters. And I wanted to see the Selena Kyle Catwoman that uh, I traditionally saw in the comics. I always think about the Catwoman series that came out there in the 90s. I was a big fan of that. I love the curvaceous Selena Kyle, flirty sex kitten sort of portrayal of that. Now, granted, I understand that in this day and age, it's probably not quite PC. So I understand why they didn't do that, but we've never seen a Catwoman outside of uh, Julie Newmar. Uh, from the 60s TV series that really kind of felt like the Catwoman that I saw in the comics. Michelle Pfeiffer I thought was okay, but she's blonde and and Selena Kyle, uh, Catwoman, has dark hair. Uh, Halle Berry, I, I thought, embodied a little bit of that sensuality, but uh, the the costume design on her Catwoman was just atrocious. I, I hated that. What's her name? The Princess Diaries chick, Anne Hathaway. Uh, she she had the body. Uh, she had the hair. She just did not have the personality that fit the Catwoman that I read in the comics or that I uh, wanted to see on the screen. So I was never a fan of hers. Uh, so Zoe Kravitz, beautiful woman, dark hair, didn't have the curvaceous uh, figure that I wanted. But there again, like I said, uh, I, I'm old school and uh, and that sort of thing, I suppose, is thought of as uh, taboo these days. But I, I was really impressed with how she did 
as Catwoman because she brought two things to the table that I thought really worked for Catwoman. It felt like a combination of Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt from the 60s Batman. She kind of had that sultry, strong female vibe that you got from the Eartha Kitt Catwoman, but she also had that flirtatious sensuality that you kind of got from the Julie Newmar version of Catwoman. I thought she did a good job of mixing those two Catwoman personalities. I, I I'm, don't know if, if that was by design or not, but that's kind of how it felt to me. And I thought she did a really good job as Catwoman. She really played into that flirtation with Batman and, and kind of like the seductress that's always trying to kind of... Uh, seduce him to the to the dark side because Catwoman has always been uh, never a complete villain she's always felt like almost a little bit of like an anti-hero I mean sometimes it does come across she does come across as as a villain but uh, but a lot of times she always kind of feels like she's got a good reason for what she's doing and and then again she did eventually become Catwoman became kind of like an anti-hero type character in the DC comics and i thought uh zoe kravitz did, did a really good job with with playing catwoman the only thing i didn't like i, I love the the kind of leather vinyl suit that she wore uh the mask was horrible it looked like a wool cap that she pulled down over her eyes and just cut a big oval out where her eyes went uh hopefully they work on the design of that in the near future and uh, maybe once she embraces the Catwoman persona fully, maybe we'll see a better mask for Catwoman in the near future. But that was the only problem I had, was just uh, that bit of costume design for uh, for poor Zoe Kravitz. It almost looked like the ski cap kind of pointed out on two ends. It almost looked like two ears. It was, I, I get what they were trying to go to with some realism, but it was just too real and looked a little dopey. Uh, so like I said, hopefully they'll they'll get a proper mask for, for poor Zoe Kravitz in the, in the sequel next time we see a Catwoman. Another actor, I wasn't really sure how I was going to feel about them playing uh, this this iconic character was Paul Dano playing the Riddler. Now, I wasn't really familiar with a lot of Paul Dano's work. I mean, I recognized him. I knew the name, but I, I really wasn't sure how he was going to do as a Riddler and how they were going to give Riddler the look because traditionally he's had uh, a couple different iconic looks uh, going back to the, the 60s Batman series when Frank Gorshin played him, he either had the, the spandex unitard with the question marks on it or like the green suit jacket with the bowler. Both of those looks probably a little too cartoonish, too, a little too comic booky for this. So I understand why they didn't go that completely that route, but I would like to see something a little closer to it. Um, maybe in the future, uh, now that we know the Riddler's identity, maybe he won't feel the need to wear a mask because in this, we see this mask character almost look like he was wearing a gimp suit mask. <laughs> That's that kind of made me laugh every time I saw him, but he's wearing this, this leather mask with his glasses outside of it. Now, granted, I understand what they did there. 
because they took a lot of inspiration for the Riddler from the Zodiac Killer, which artist renditions of the Zodiac Killer had him wearing this mask and his glasses over top of the mask. So that was pretty accurate to the the Zodiac Killer in real life. They also did a lot with the ciphers. Zodiac Killer had these ciphers that he would send to newspapers and the police, and, and they played a lot into... Uh, the ciphers and that's how you know the Riddler would give a lot of his riddles out and give a lot of his clues out as to what he was doing why he was doing it and who he was through these ciphers that they figured out uh, Alfred I know he figures out how to decode the cipher the way he did it was very similar to how they decoded the Zodiac Killer ciphers in real life. So that was kind of cool. I wasn't, though, uh, particularly fond of the look of the Riddler. I get why they did it, and I hope that they kind of heighten the look of the Riddler and make it a little little more comic book friendly in the near future. But I, I didn't mind Paul Dano. I mean, a lot of his performance was done through like a, a voice digitizer. It was like one of those, when you hear voices being disguised on the phone, it was through that. So uh, you really couldn't get a true sense of his performance because of that. And it was a little erratic because like he said, you know, he's trying to cover up his identity so we're not getting a a full uh, representation of the the way this character is Uh, we don't really get that until he unmasks himself and lets himself be caught by the police towards the end and we get a couple scenes with the riddler and batman the police station and the riddler and this uh unnamed arkham asylum inmate which we'll talk about a little later but i i didn't mind paul dano as the riddler like i said i'm i'm hoping to see this character show up in this this movie franchise these this trilogy of movie that matt reeves is is doing who knows if they'll continue it after that if he'll stay on or if they'll bring in somebody else to do another trilogy with robert pattinson we've still got two movies to go in this trilogy before before that's decided but i will be excited to see paul dano as a the riddler who is unmasked and is just the riddler there's no mystery as to behind who he is so i'm interested to see how paul dano plays this character in that regard now there's one actor that i really had no doubt that he was going to be able to pull off the character that he was and that was jeffrey wright as lieutenant james gordon uh and i've i've been a fan of jeffrey wright um I loved him in Westworld. Say what you want about that HBO series. Uh, Jeffrey Wright was brilliant in that. And everything that I've seen him in since then uh, and before that, I've just always enjoyed uh, Jeffrey Wright's performances. And I had a feeling that they were he was going to do a great job with Jim Gordon because he kind of has that that feel about him. He kind of looks like he, you know, he can play that good guy, that guy with upstanding morals, that guy that's going to do the right thing, that guy that is not going to be corrupted, that guy, that police officer that is going to stand up for justice. He kind of looks like he embodies that. 
and he acts like he embodies that. And I think he did a, a fantastic job. So uh, Jeffrey Wright was the only person in this cast that I really had no reservations about because uh, I, I just, I could see him in this role and he did a, a fantastic job. He did everything I thought he would do as Jim Gordon and another character like Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz and Paul Dano. I'm really excited to see more of him in this role as we go on with this trilogy. Now, another actor that I thought was an odd pick for the character he played was John Turturro, who I love as an actor. I, I've always been a fan of John Turturro, but he plays Carmine Falcone, who is the, the Gotham crying lord. He is the mob boss in this. And it just, it's not that he did a bad job. It is just not, he, John Tatour to me does not come across as the mob boss type. I don't know. Maybe I've seen him in too much comedy to see him as that type of character, but it just, I, I just didn't buy it. And he's the only, only one, like I said, he didn't do a bad job. It's just him in that role i just didn't buy it so i I, that's the only probably one of the only weak links in the cast and like i said it wasn't because of his performance because i thought he did a great job as a performance i just think the casting was a little off on that uh peter skarsgård plays the gotham district attorney gil colson who uh spoiler alert gets the uh, pizza bomber treatment if you watch the uh, documentary on netflix uh that happened in my backyard practically in erie pennsylvania just north of me so all too familiar with that one of the real surprises for me was uh, colin farrell as oswald cobblepot uh, otherwise known as the penguin uh, he's kind of a lieutenant to falcone and he runs the iceberg lounge which is a nightclub that's that's kind of integral in this this whole story and colin farrell's transformation to the penguin was pretty brilliant because Uh, When I saw the trailers, I knew Colin Farrell was in this as the Penguin, but when I saw the Penguin in the trailers, I didn't realize that's who that was supposed to be. And just the work they did, the makeup work and the prosthetic work was just fantastic, amazing. It really transformed Colin Farrell. Uh, I did not recognize him, and I thought he did a good job. It, It was a little more traditional mob boss. Uh, or mob lieutenant than I was kind of hoping for. Not that I expected uh, Burgess Meredith uh, style penguin character or even Danny DeVito style penguin character, uh, big caricature of a cartoon character. Uh, I didn't expect that, but I expected something a little less. I mean, you know, he sounded like he had a New York accent and sounded like what you would expect a mob lieutenant to sound like. Less comic book character and more grounded in reality, uh, which I know that's what Matt Reeves was going for, but I expected it to be a little more comic booky. I was hoping for a little more of a comic book character, which, uh, who, who knows? Uh, I think after this film, the Penguin character is going to come to more of the forefront, and, and we are going to get to see the penguin character a little more up close and personal with some uh some new side projects that they're doing with this we'll talk about that coming up with the future of this franchise but but i was really uh, pleasantly surprised with with colin farrell because when i heard he was cast as a penguin i was like are you freaking kidding me 
this is going to be horrible. And and I have to admit, I was totally wrong because they transformed him uh, into what I thought was a, a really good-looking penguin character. And there's even one scene uh, where where Gordon and Batman capture the penguin, and they've got him his hands and feet tied up, and they don't untie him when they leave and he's kind of stand up and he's kind of waddling away and uh, it looked very penguin-esque it, it was kind of a nice little uh joke there and then probably the last of the the big names in this cast was andy circus as alfred pennyworth and I, I i always have trouble with alfred because in the comics and in the batman series of course uh alan appear uh, played alfred in the batman series kind of that old butler looking guy uh that's always how i saw him in the comics but in more recent days uh you know with the christopher nolan batman we saw michael kane jeremy irons in the uh, the ben affleck batman in gotham we saw you know uh, uh an older but more tough and rugged alfred i i, I understand that alfred does have a background in the military in the comics and uh but i've always i've always liked the older unsuspecting alfred than the alfred that looks like he could grab a gun and go start fighting bad guys uh that's kind of how andy circus felt but i really i did like his performance as alfred uh, we didn't get much interaction between him and bruce wayne but we did really set up uh, a lot of history it, it made you realize that there's a lot of history and a lot of things unspoken between these two at this stage in the game you know we've always seen alfred where he's been like family to bruce wayne and in this stage of the game he doesn't feel like family you know he he does feel like family but bruce wayne doesn't recognize that and i think we get kind of a, a little bit of an arc from where we start out with their relationship to where we end. And I think we kind of see the transition where Bruce Wayne realizes uh, how much Alfred means to him and how much Alfred is family to him. You get that little bit of an arc, and I look forward to seeing more of that explored in in future installments. And, and I really did like Andy Serkis's performance. You know, he's, uh, you know, I was afraid all I was going to hear is him saying uh, something about his precious the whole time but no he he did a great job and i wasn't expecting a lot out of the alfred character but andy circus brought a lot to it that i that i really enjoyed uh, he brought a lot of that wanting to be the father figure to bruce wayne brought a lot of that to the surface you could tell this is a man who's cared about this this young man from the time he was a child and looks at him as a son and all he wants is for this son figure to look at him as a father figure. Even if he doesn't, he's still going to look after this kid, still going to protect this kid. And it was a really good performance. It was a really sweet portrayal of Alfred. And, and Alfred wasn't a passive character in this. You know, he was very integral in helping Bruce Wayne slash Batman solve the cipher that that helped crack this case. And I expect we'll probably see more of this character, more of Alfred and more of Andy Serkis in the in the movies to come. So all in all, I really I really enjoyed the cast a lot more than I initially thought I would. When I first saw the cast list, I thought, oh boy, this is this is gonna be rough as Batman movies go. But 
you know what? Once I finally saw it, and once I started seeing the trailers and seeing these actors and actresses as these characters, I felt a little more confident. And in watching the movie, everything that Matt Reeves did was vindicated. All the casting uh, selections were vindicated because I was really impressed with how everyone did in these roles. And I enjoyed uh, watching these characters in these roles. Another thing I really liked about this movie was the look of the movie. Gotham really felt like a real city. Uh, the world building that Matt Reeves did was fantastic because uh, you're seeing these different places that, that they're going past and going through, and it just feels like a lived-in world. All the fake business names felt uh, felt real. It felt like actual businesses. and a lot, There was a lot of Easter eggs uh, as to former Batman writers. Uh, there were a lot of Easter eggs to characters there was a the place where the riddler was staying was a, a motel that had a green neon sign and of course green is the color of the riddler and there's just a lot of easter eggs hidden within this world that matt reeves built so gotham as a as a city as a place for all this stuff and all these events to happen and really felt like uh like i said like a lived-in world it felt very legit the characters and the costumes looked really authentic you know and and a lot of them were very striking first and foremost the batman suit i really enjoyed i liked the fact that you know the batman suit almost looked like armor which kind of played into some of the some of the critiques of this movie which we'll talk about a little bit later but uh kind of that dark gray armor with the black bat logo very similar to the one ben affleck wore as far as the color palette but very angular very much like armor and then the the black cowl and cape uh just looked really cool i i can't say it's my favorite bat suit but to me this bat suit looked like it was the most functional out of a lot of the bat suits that we have seen over the years with all the different iterations of this franchise so i, I really like that you know, looked like robert pattinson could turn his head and actually fight wearing that thing uh you know he had we've seen bat suits that deflect bullets but this one actually looked like armor that could deflect bullets he looked like he had a a bit of a tool belt not the uh the yellow tool belt that we see in some of the older comics in the 60s series and the michael keaton batman but it looked like he had a belt with pouches and and packs and little satchels to where he could tuck away his little gadgets and his wonderful toys as as we've heard so I, I really liked the look of batman and like i said i thought robert pattinson looked good in the suit you know he's got that strong jawline and and i thought he looked good as batman but uh you know as far as costumes go for everyone that wasn't playing a superhero everything looked good the look of the film was good from a from a dp's perspective uh it just had a great look to the city everything was rainy that was one of the things uh that they really drew from the movie uh, seven was the the fact that like a lot of the exteriors in seven uh, were rainy and every time we were outside in gotham it was always rainy gotham really felt like a a seedy underbelly of 
uh, a scum and villainy, a wretched hive of scum and villainy to uh, borrow from another franchise. But I, I really liked the look of the film. I like there were so many great shots. I mean, this was a beautifully filmed movie. There was one shot where Batman is fighting guys in this hallway, and it's dark, and they have uh, machine guns and. The only lighting you get is when they shoot off a blast of gunfire. The flash, the muzzle flash from these machine guns going off is the only time the, the hallway lights up. And it was the, the whole shot was completely lit by gunfire. And it was just such a well-conceived idea. And it was beautifully done. There's a scene where Batman is escaping from Gotham PD and he shoots his like little grappling hook up through the stairwell. And we're kind of like the cameras on the end of where his hand is and he's flying up past everything. It was, it looked really cool. There was a, a scene that was just so beautiful towards the end of the movie when we get the, the big flood in the city and Batman is, is saving the mayor elect and the former mayor's son and, and these other uh, city officials. And he's leading them through this flooded, uh, arena and he lights off a flare and we see this shot from up above where he's holding this flare and it's all red uh, lit by the black shadows of all these people following him kind of like a in a V formation like like geese following the the leader it was just such a beautiful shot and this movie couldn't have done a better job at really uh, one, creating this world, creating the look of this world, and creating the look and feel of this movie I thought was just phenomenal. Another aspect of this movie that I really enjoyed was the music, because uh, I'm not a huge Nirvana fan, but I thought Nirvana's Something in the Way was a great song to choose. Uh, one, because like I said, Robert Pattinson kind of informed his uh, idea of how he wanted to play Bruce Wayne off of Kurt Cobain, it, it really made sense for Batman in this stage of his crime-fighting career. He's hell-bent on vengeance. He's very melancholy. He's not a happy person. He's not a hopeful person. That song really kind of spoke to that. And not only did they have the song that they played uh, in the movie, but also the theme for Batman. One, it felt a little bit like the Darth Vader march from Star Wars, but even bigger, I think they took like the first few notes of, or, or, or a, a collection of a few notes out of something in the way and made that the, the first few notes that they play in this Batman theme. And it was, it was really haunting and beautiful and almost like the sounds of doom like i said it almost felt like the darth vader's theme from star wars but like i said i i think they used a, a selection of notes from something in the way to create this this theme song for batman which i thought was really cool a really cool tie-in to the song that this you know is being played in this movie and a tie-in to the character and what informed Robert Pattinson's portrayal of this character. Another song they really used a lot was Ave Maria because 
the Riddler character is a former orphan and there's some tie-ins, uh, a video of Thomas Wayne running for mayor before he was killed. And there's a choir uh, of orphans singing Ave Maria or, or somebody singing Ave Maria and the, the orphans are there, but that is used a lot and, and used a lot in connection with the Riddler. Of course, Ave Maria is essentially a prayer to uh, Mary and it really played into a lot of Riddler's past, and they even used some of the notes from that as a basis for the Riddler's theme in the score to this movie. And that song also, you know, especially when it's sung by a single soprano voice, can be very haunting. And, and they used that to great effect in this movie. So uh, I, I really thought that was a, an interesting choice for music and a choice that was, was well done. Now, this next little bit, uh, it may be a little bit of a spoiler. Not a huge spoiler because nothing has been confirmed yet. I've tried not to be too spoilery throughout this, but uh, hopefully I haven't spoiled too much for you. But uh, this may be a little bit of a spoiler because, like I said, uh, the Riddler does get caught. He allows himself to be caught, and he's in Arkham Asylum. And once he's realized that while his his big master plan did come to fruition, it didn't have the effect on Gotham and on Batman that he thought he's despondent and he's downtrodden and uh, he gets a little pick-me-up from an inmate next door that we only get glimpses through a window very close up they used a lot of very close-up shots in this movie and and this is one of those shots where we get uh, a little bit of uh a face, maybe a little bit of a smile, but we get a character that is essentially making a lot of clown references and letting the Riddler know that he has a friend. Now, this character is only mentioned in the cast list as unnamed Arkham inmate or, or something like that, but it is actually played by Barry Keoghan, who we saw, or, or at least I last saw, as Druig in The Eternals. So, and this character, it comes across very Joker-esque. He refers to himself as a clown. And, and I know Barry Keoghan has made some references, veiled references, on his social media accounts that he may be in this movie and that he may be the Joker. So uh, I'm interested to see in the next Batman, if we do get a Barry Keoghan Joker and how it's going to play out because, you know, everyone is always afraid of somebody new coming along after an iconic performance. Uh, of course, we had Jack Nicholson as the iconic Joker in the original Michael Keaton, Tim Burton, Batman movie who thought that, you know, nobody thought anybody could fill Jack Nicholson's shoes. But then Heath Ledger comes along in The Dark Knight and does a different take on the Joker. And that becomes iconic. And who can who can outdo that? I think we may get a little bit of a different take. I think Barry Keoghan's probably going to take a little bit of a different take on the Joker than Heath Ledger. And who knows? Maybe we'll get another iconic performance. Uh, at the very least, I think we'll get a good performance and a good portrayal of the Joker with Barry Keoghan because I, I think he is kind of one of those people that, one of those actors that uh, wasn't really top of mind when it comes to uh, who could be the next Joker. 
but I think he's going to surprise a lot of people, and I think he's going to do a really good job. So I'm excited to see uh, what the future holds for this movie franchise uh, moving forward with possibly a reappearance of the Joker. Now, I know there's been a lot of talk about the sequel that uh, there's no you know plans, no word yet on when production will begin on that. But I know Matt Reeves has talked about wanting to do uh, Mr. Freeze in a Batman sequel, but he wants to do it a little more grounded in reality. I'm not sure how that is going to be pulled off. I don't think we're going to see a, a bald guy with bluish white skin uh, and a bubble helmet or anything like that. But yeah, I, I'm not sure how they're going to do a Mr. Freeze character grounded in any sort of reality. Uh, is he going to have some sort of liquid nitrogen gun or, or something to that effect? I could see that being uh, a possibility. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a Mr. Freeze where he has to be kept at a certain below freezing temperature or anything like that. But I am kind of curious as to what they're going to do with Mr. Freeze. As Matt Reeves has said, he wants to do that character in an upcoming Batman film. So that should be interesting. Another thing that I found interesting is that Robert Pattinson was asked about it. And he is quite interested in doing the Court of Owls in a future Batman. Now, whether that ties into Matt Reeves' plans for future Batman movies, I, I don't know. But that, again, would be also something very interesting to see uh, Court of Owls uh, play some sort of role because Court of Owls is, uh, is big in Batman mythology. All of the uh, leading founding family members of Gotham in this kind of underworld uh, clandestine group kind of pulling the strings uh, behind the scenes sort of entity. So, and, and they kind of delved into that in the Gotham series. To mixed effect. I think in some regards they did it very well. In other regards, it wasn't uh, it wasn't quite what I was hoping for. But that that should be very interesting to see what they're going to do leading up to future Batman movies because they've got a lot on their plate. You know, the Riddler's still in this, and this is one of the things where I really was happy that they didn't do what a lot of superhero movies do and they kill off villains so we can never see them come back again they didn't kill off the riddler so the riddler will be back uh if you stay stuck around saw the movie and stick around for the little ps uh you may be disappointed but it does lead you to believe that the riddler will be back uh we've got a potential joker on the table we've got mr freeze on the table thanks to matt reeves robert pattinson has kind of put the court of owls on the table and i think there's a lot of interesting things that they can do and i'll be excited to see what they do in the next two movies because i guess from what i understand we're gonna get at least a trilogy out of this so i for one loved this movie it really was inspired a lot by the long halloween series from back in the 90s kind of year one even though this is year two it was kind of inspired by batman year one that series back in the late 80s uh some other influences here and there from the batman comics but this this movie in particular took a lot from the long halloween because we start off in that first bit of scenes where we see the Riddler uh, making his first kill and then we get that monologue where Batman is is talking and it's kind of him 
uh, kind of a journal entry. He keeps these journals called the Gotham Project, where he talks about all he's done and and that. And it's the first night is on Halloween, October 31st. So this draws not just from that, but this draws a lot of plot points from the long Halloween that I'm not going to go into if you haven't uh, watched this movie. But there is a tie-in to uh, Falcone and a secret daughter that is from that and a lot of other elements that were directly from that long Halloween series back in 96, 97, somewhere around there. So I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed the portrayals. I enjoyed the look. I enjoyed so many aspects of this. And one thing I really loved that I didn't get to talk about was the Batmobile. I've seen different places talk about, uh, different sites talk about the Batmobiles and they rank them. This had to be one of my favorite Batmobiles because the Batmobiles from Michael Keaton through that stretch of movies, they're all just too long. You can't you can't make sharp turns in those long ass vehicles. Uh, the stuff from the Christian Bale, Christopher Nolan, Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, looked like they got those from a military scrapyard and put them together. It looked like military vehicles. This looked like a souped-up hot rod, a souped-up muscle car. It very much reminded me and had the feel of the Batmobile from the original 1960s Batman series, which was based off the uh, Lincoln Futura. But it had that feel with the, the classic, sleek, uh, muscle car lines and the, the jet engine coming out of the back. It, it felt like the Batmobile from the 60s TV series, only an updated version of that, more of a muscle car version than the, the classic Lincoln look. And I loved it because one, it was grounded in reality. It didn't look like uh, a vehicle that you could never maneuver through the streets of any city, let alone countryside, <laughs> with those big wide turns you'd have to take. And it didn't look like some military vehicle. It looked like Bruce Wayne got this classic muscle car and souped it up. It felt like a Batman in his second year of fighting crime doing things to, to create gadgets and, and whatnot to, to help him do that. And I, I really, I really liked the Batmobile in this movie. I thought it was pretty sweet. Uh, of course, I like muscle cars, uh, so that that didn't hurt one bit. But I love this movie. I, I thought it was great. My only real critique of it was that it was quite long. It clocked in at just under three hours, and that was, you know, by the end of it, my my backside was starting to hurt a little bit. I wanted to to get up and move around some. Uh, it it could have been trimmed down, I think, but they had a lot of story to tell between all of the Riddler's kills. All of the clues leading up to the next one, all of the clues as to who the Riddler is trying to expose, uh, all the clues as to who the Riddler is, then the Riddler's master plan being executed and Batman saving the day. Uh, there was just a lot to cover. So I understand why this was a long movie, but it, it just felt like in some regards it could have been trimmed down a little bit because it was quite long. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the look of it. I enjoyed the sound of it. The music I thought was great. The actors and the characters, the, the portrayals were good. I liked the story. I liked that they, they created this mystery and they created this detective story, which harkens to Batman's roots. I liked how they started this. They, we didn't get an origin story. We didn't even see Martha and Thomas Wayne killed 
Uh, we didn't get an origin story, really. We start off on year two, and I like that Batman had an arc. I saw some criticisms that uh, Bruce Wayne, one of the worst things about this movie was Bruce Wayne didn't care about innocent people. Well, that was the whole arc of the movie. Bruce Wayne had an arc where he is hell-bent on vengeance. He is vengeance. I am vengeance was his his mantra and his calling card. He's referred to as vengeance. The fact that he is vengeance inspires the Riddler to do what he does. And he, he looks at Batman as a an ally in exacting vengeance. Bruce Wayne doesn't care about helping anyone with soft-minded do-goodness like charities and things like that. He is trying to rid the streets of Gotham of crime and get revenge for his parents being killed. And we see an arc throughout that. Part of it is his relationship with Alfred, realizing what he has in Alfred. And at the end, he realizes that he isn't changing anything by just taking out bad guys in Gotham. He's got to become something more than just vengeance. Uh, you're consumed by vengeance. All you're going to reap is more vengeance. His vengeance caused the Riddler to become his own version of vengeance. And he has that arc where he realized that it can't be just about vengeance. It has to be about helping people and not necessarily being a symbol of fear for evil, but a symbol of hope for good. And this whole story takes place over six days. And it's very biblical in its reference. You know, God created the world in six days and on the seventh day rest. And we end this movie on the dawn of the seventh day. And it's a dawn for Batman to become more of a symbol of hope than a symbol of fear. And I thought that was a great element to add into this, to have that development of this character from a symbol of vengeance to a symbol of hope. I saw some criticisms also about the suit Batman wears, how he takes a ton of gunfire and it never affects him. I was like, did, did you watch the freaking movie? Uh, he takes a shotgun blast to the chest and has to shoot himself up with some sort of drug. I don't know if it's adrenaline or maybe some of that uh, Bane venom that uh, puts him in a adrenaline rage and he beats the crap out of some dude. Uh, he was definitely affected by those shots just because they didn't go through, uh, you know, the armor uh, didn't mean he wasn't affected. There were several times where he was down and out. And so it, it, it always makes me realize how much of these movies that some of these reviewers and some of these critics don't actually watch. They're just basing it off of assumptions or what they may have heard. I liked the fact that, yeah, he had this bulletproof armor. But he did feel the effects of it. He it wasn't just he was a very much a a real Batman in the sense that he felt the effects of being in these fights, getting shot at. Just because the bullets didn't go through the armor doesn't mean he didn't feel the effects. And we saw that on the screen. There were consequences to him being hit or him being shot at, even if it didn't kill him. So when you read reviews and you read critiques of this movie, you gotta, as I've always said, you gotta take it with a grain of salt. I for one really liked it. And hopefully if you saw the Batman, uh, you liked it as well. Uh, if you haven't seen the Batman, hopefully you do catch it. Because if you love Batman, uh, if you love the Batman comics, you love any of the ba other Batman movies, this is a 
interesting and different take, and I'm excited to see what we're going to get with this Matt Reeves version of Batman. So we'll keep you posted on all the future things that are coming up with Batman. Of course, there's going to be a Penguin and a Jim Gordon series. Uh, there's going to be a Penguin series on HBO Max. They're also doing a, uh, a Jim Gordon series. Uh, I think the Penguin one is going to be Colin Farrell's Penguin becoming the new mob boss of Gotham. And I think we're going to see that. I think that should be interesting. Uh, Jim Gordon is going to be kind of a Jim Gordon fighting crime and solving mysteries sort of thing. I, from what I understand, we're going to get a little better look into Arkham Asylum in that series. So it's kind of cool to see uh, DC doing what Marvel did with Disney Plus, where you get all these big Marvel movies, but then you get these little sometimes one-off uh, series on HBO Max like WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, stuff like that. It's cool to see DC doing that with HBO Max and we're going to get some interesting little side series uh, to kind of broaden this greater uh, Batman universe. So be on the lookout for that. We'll keep you posted on all of that on our Facebook page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook. I always posting trailers from the latest movies and TV series coming out, as well as collecting uh, articles from all over the internet, all sorts of different sources, sharing them with you there so you can say, stay on top of what's going on in the world of horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my thoughts on The Batman, uh, the new Matt Reeves movie, and wherever you listen to this podcast, please uh, subscribe, download it, share it, uh, leave a review. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever review you give us, we certainly appreciate the feedback. And coming up, we've got uh, uh, Thursday's episode of the podcast. We're going to be talking about Two Sentence Horror Stories Season 3. So that's on the way. So until then. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!